and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we're speaking with Rob Clark from Howard University, as well as Cynthia Vitters from Deloitte, and we'll be talking about ERM in the university world. We'll be covering COVID, of course, and the response to COVID in the university world, but also just in general, things that universities uh, have to deal with as far as the world of risk management. So without further ado, let's start the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Very happy today to have a topic we really haven't discussed before, so uh, we're happy to bring to you a couple great guests. We're going to be talking about risk management at, uh, at the university level. So um, so with that, we have Rob Clark from Howard University. So let's start with Rob. Why don't you introduce yourself, Rob, please? Well, hi, Paul. Uh, once, once again, I'm Rob Clark. I'm the Chief Compliance Officer at Howard University. And I'm relatively new to the university. I started in July of uh, 2020. Uh, prior to that, I was the Chief Compliance Officer and Chief Audit Executive, uh, heading up the internal audit practice as well at Clark Atlanta University. And then prior to that, I had uh, served in similar capacities at uh, University of Nebraska, Georgia Tech, and MIT. And I, I can't believe I'm old enough to say that I've been doing this for over 30 years. Uh, do I look old enough to have done that for 30 years? You sure I don't, don't think so. I don't either. I'm <laughs> now, of course, the, the people listening to this on podcast are going to be saying, Rob, we can't see you. But uh, we'll uh, in any event, I've been, doing this, I've been doing this for 30 years and uh, really did not think that I was going to spend that long in the profession of compliance and internal auditing. Uh, but it is something that I've really found a passion for and, and particularly love serving in the, uh, in the industry of higher education. And uh, the time that I have spent uh, at uh, two HBCUs has really been transformative and has really given me a, uh, a renewed passion for wanting to make sure that what we are doing is ultimately helping to educate other people's kids and really trying to make sure that we're making an impact on the next generation. I'm delighted to be a part of it. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. And actually, Georgia Tech's my alma mater in uh, Atlanta. We have a lot of in common with our second guest, which is, uh, which is Cynthia Vitters, who uh, also I, I know from my days in Atlanta. Cynthia, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Paul. Um, so my name is Cynthia Vitters, and I am currently serving as the, the director, managing director, and leader of the enterprise risk management practice at Deloitte. Um, and that encompasses um, services in federal government, state and local government, and also higher education. And prior to that, I spent pretty much the majority of my entire career, 22 years, working directly for the United States Department of Education, where I was the chief risk officer for the Office of Federal Student Aid, and then, you know, served in a myriad of other roles in compliance, audit, finance, and whatnot. But I'm really excited also to be here and talk about, you know, this exciting topic, which is, you know, risk in the higher education setting. So thanks, Paul, for organizing. Rob, good to be here with you. Absolutely. Well, why don't we kick it off here? I'm going to kind of go back and forth between the two of you. Um, but I wanted to start with Rob. Um, you know, this is the first podcast we've really done about education, and uh, we'd love for you to share with us some of the you know, some of the high-level risk management efforts that uh, you all are working on at Howard University. 
Great. Well, thank you, Paul. And, uh, and Cynthia, welcome. I'm delighted to share the time with you and really look forward to your insights as well. Um, as I mentioned, you know, I've been in the higher education industry now for over three decades. And uh, what I have seen and what I have come to realize about the, the industry of higher education is that we are one of the most heavily regulated industries in the nation. Uh, because we really function as an entire community. Uh, so if we consider all of the enterprise uh, level risk issues and compliance issues that there are associated with what we are doing in our federal research grants, what we are doing relative to the, uh, the management of our federal student aid, uh, we have a hospital at Howard University. So all of the hospital related uh, risk factors need to and compliance obligations need to be factored into that. We have NCAA compliance regulatory requirements. We have uh, the we have a public safety office. We are a food service. We have housing uh, as well as all of the protection of information. And what is interesting about higher education it is it is largely a uh, a decentralized uh, operation in which you've got each of those different entities that are managing those uh, those operational areas in such a way that it might not necessarily always come together uh, as a unified approach if we're not very intentional about that. So one of the terms that you often hear in the higher education atmosphere is that people are operating in silos. And how can we get people to, to migrate out of those silos into uh, a more common and consistent approach to how we manage risk? And so the enterprise risk management uh, programs that I've helped to facilitate at each of the, my past institutions, including your alma mater, Paul, uh, have really been focused on, first and foremost, how we can get all of the players at the table to make sure that their perspective is integrated into the ERM approach. Right. So I'm honestly not that not that different from government ERM that we're seeing in federal, state, and local. I mean, you have to worry about things across the board. It's almost like a little city you're managing, you know, as you were kind of mentioning. So, um, so I think what I'd be curious to hear about. So obviously, you know, there's some high level things you guys are doing, but obviously, what's on everybody's mind is the you know COVID, the pandemic right now. Um, maybe could you give us a little bit of insight on, um, you know, some of the things you, you all have been doing for decision-making related to that? Uh, specifically dealing with the, the challenges of the pandemic? Yes, yes. Well, I, I think, you know, everyone has had to, every industry has had to adapt to this. Uh, I, I, will, I will not use the term pivot because I think that term is, is very overused. But I will say that we have had to adjust our approach. We've had to try to figure out how we can continue the operations in a way that is going to be seamless so that when we are delivering our, our education services to our clients, to our students, that we're able to do that in a way that is going to be able to meet their needs. Uh, what that requires is a lot of collaboration with units that before the pandemic uh, perhaps we're more inclined to operate in those silos. 
and it has really forced the issue of bringing together those units with the common goal of how can we make sure that we continue to provide excellent educational delivery to our students. So part of the way that the university has addressed that, and mind you, I started in July, so the university had to implement a lot of these measures prior to my arrival. But even at my prior institution at Clark Atlanta, I was very uh, intimately involved in the process of coming up with that response. That required us having to take a look at uh, implementing telecommuting policies that prior to that did not exist. And, and then reevaluating the way that units communicate with each other. And my perspective has been one of the biggest areas of risk that, that every organization and every institution has faced is that, institution, is that issue of communication. And you know, while we have embraced uh, the increased connection through Teams and Zoom, that really cannot replace the value of some of the more informal interactions that take place in the hallways, around the water cooler, at sporting events, you know, in the, in the hallways where people have an opportunity to just pop in and ask questions to clarify how a process might work, that they might be a little bit hesitant to include in an email. And so what we're finding is some of that informal communication, there's really not a way to replicate that in, in a remote uh, atmosphere. So we've got to be much more intentional about reaching out to and including people to get their feedback about how some of the processes are working. Because sometimes people are reluctant to ask a question and put that in writing because then that creates a record of the fact that they didn't know how to do something that is, uh, that is supposed to be a part of their job responsibility. And from our perspective coming in after the fact, we then are finding situations where individuals have uh, put through a process or a transaction or something that did not go according to what our policies are, but they were simply guessing and trying to do the best that they could to figure out how to do it without having to ask somebody. So trying to deal with the communication challenges is one of the things that has been uh, one, of the, one of the biggest obstacles. And the way that we have dealt with that is that the president and the executive cabinet members uh, have been very proactive and very intentional about having frequent town hall meetings, uh, reaching out to and having meetings with each of the deans, the provost facilitating meetings with each of the deans, to communicate with them and their chairs of, each, of the individual schools to get their feedback, to ask questions and to create a safe atmosphere where people have an opportunity to have that type of informal dialogue. Right. So I'm, what I'm, I think what I'm hearing is that, I mean, honestly, the crisis has kind of, uh, you know, forced you all to make some improvements actually to, to you know, things that are uh, actually maybe going to affect your program going forward, you know, once this is all over, I mean, you, you are finding ways to maybe better or more frequently communicate, more form, formally communicate, you know, put some things in, in writing that weren't there before, policies, um, you know, just more of a focus on you've got to deliver this education and value to the students, so you really have to laser focus now on how to get that done. I mean, is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I think it's, uh, it really has shown a, a very bright flashlight on that issue of how people were operating in silos. 
And what it's done is it's exposed some of the organizational gaps. And we actually see that as a very uh, favorable outcome from this because what it has done is it's brought to surface those organizational issues of effectiveness, efficiency, and compliance that do need to be addressed. And the other byproduct of this is that it's also uh, made it very evident within the organization uh, whom are the people who are doing most of the heavy lifting and who are the people that are the real go-to people within the organization. And it also exposes those people within the organization that perhaps have been just sort of coasting under the radar and now the contribution and value added by each employee becomes much more clear and is no longer measured by just the time that somebody warms a desk chair in the office. Right, absolutely. So why don't we get Cynthia, why don't you get your thoughts on this? Uh, do you want to maybe speak to uh, what you've seen, you know, at a bigger picture at other places or in the same industry in the, the higher education world? Are you seeing similar things uh, related to the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, most definitely, Paul. And, you know, I think, you know, just to kind of lead out on this, I mean, I think that, you know, as we've moved into this pandemic, um, just a general trend that we've seen um, across all industry is that there has never been a time that, you know, risk concepts and risk management, I think, has been more front and center. Um, I don't think a day goes by that you haven't heard the word risk or risk appetite or risk mitigation or risk tolerance as you turn on the TV or you're listening to the radio. Um, and so, you know, I just think that as a whole, the whole, you know, concepts and principles of the enterprise risk have been elevated. Um, I think that, you know, we've seen in the higher ed industry um, specifically a, a number of opportunities across the industry where someone serving as the chief risk officer or, you know, in a similar position um, having those same types of duties was actually called upon to take on a role of being a leader in how the university was responding to the pandemic. Um, and again, you know, further support that that's really, I, you know, I think elevating, you know, the business process, the, the concepts of risk management. Um, we also saw, you know, a number of instances where enterprise risk management frameworks were really leveraged to help institutions make many of the very critical decisions that they needed to do um, from the very, you know, early days of the pandemic on, you know, how do we take, you know, classes from, you know, online in, or in person to online, um, you know, and then as we move through the pandemic, using enterprise risk management frameworks to think about things like, should institutions reopen in person? Um, should they move to, you know, a hybrid delivery model? Should they, you know, maybe go to a full um, online delivery model? Um, we also saw risk frameworks helping look at triggers to stop when to stop in-person learning and shift back to remote, um, you know, also risk frameworks, looking at reputational issues, communications, as Rob talked about, you know, really important thing to be thinking about. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, just to kind of summarize that a little bit, some of the key components of the frameworks that have really been leveraged have been the risk identification, assessment, and mitigation process, as we put it through the lens of making decisions around what to do in the pandemic. And then, you know, I also think um, underline, and this is again back to some of what Rob said, is really leveraging risk governance um, to help with decision making. And, you know, I would completely agree that I think that you have definitely seen, and it's industry-wide, um, it's really forced folks to stop working in silos. It's exactly what you said, Rob. I mean, folks have had to come together to make decisions very quickly. Um, many of these, you know, things that were happening at enterprise impacts, and so it forced, you know, leaders to get in the room 
Um, and, and again, many times we saw that that enterprise risk council or committee that was stood up in a higher institution, higher ed institution, was the body that was called on to sort of serve as the body making those decisions. So, you know, I, you know, I think like industry-wide, great news story on really leveraging ERM, um, to, you know, to really help organizations, especially higher ed, make better decisions quickly. Yeah, and I want to get a little bit more insight. Um, Rob, you were mentioning um, just a lot of these positive changes, ironically enough, that you've seen uh, to the program because of forcing, uh, you know, forcing factors from the pandemic. I, I was curious, you know, which of these things do you think will still stick around after the pandemic or, or wh what are things that you would want to see continue? Obviously, the reducing the silos, but are there other things that you think hopefully will be part of the new world, you know, n now that we've had to do them in, during this situation? Well, I, I thought your, your question is a good one because it really is forcing, I mean, that's a question that everyone is having to deal with. What are the, what are the lessons learned from this? And, uh, you know, I've, I've often used the, the phrase that, you know, never lose the opportunity to capitalize on a good crisis. And, you know, we're going through this crisis Let's not look at this as something that is being done to us or something that we have to just live through, but how can we excel through this? And what I think is what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing um, is from the conversations, and I've, I've been a part of, even though I'm not necessarily a part of the student services uh, part of the university, I had volunteered to be one of the individuals that reached out to uh, over the fall semester, every single student at the university and ask them a series of questions. How are you doing? Uh, do you have the appropriate technology? Have you been able to get support uh, from your professors? What has your experience been? And so that we can make decisions along the way of how we can improve those services. Because what we're realizing is that even if by this time next year, everyone's able to be back on campus and we're going to be able to go back to what we had always defined as traditionally normal. I think what people are realizing is that there is likely to be more of a hybrid model for delivering our educational services, whereby some of it will be done online, some of it will be done in person. And what that means is that the entire university including every faculty member, is going to have to have their skill sets up to a level whereby they can meet that demand and to make sure that the students who are obviously uh, much more tech savvy, that they are going to be getting the information in a way that is going to allow them to be fully successful. I think the other part of this is looking to see how can we, how can we make sure that we are creating that sense of community, that culture. Uh, when, a, when a student is graduating high school and deciding to come to Howard University, they're coming there not necessarily just because of the education that they are going to receive in the classroom, but because of the environment and what it is like to be a part of that community, what it's like to be a part of the social and sporting events and the, the campus events. I mean, there's such a vibrant culture there with such a deep history. And that's one of the things that draws people to our institution. 
And now it's forcing us to look at ways in which we can try to make sure that we are uh, creating as many opportunities, even if, if virtually, to be able to make sure that that culture is, is protected. Yeah, I love that. Actually, just kind of sparked a thought. You know, risk managers tend to think a lot about risk, but, you know, you're supposed to think about opportunity, too. And I really feel like, again, I'm not trying to just put a rosy picture on this pandemic thing, but, I mean, I think there's so many things in higher education, but just the work world in general, the government world, that we should really be taking advantage of when we move forward. This hybrid approach is a great idea. Um, again, that translates to work, too. I mean, I mean, we've been you know, a lot of our jobs, we've been pretty efficient being home three, five days a week. You know, we're saving a lot of, well, we're paying money, but we could save money on commercial real estate, things like that. I mean, I think what you're saying could apply to programs throughout, you know, any industry. I mean, you know, what do you think? Maybe Cynthia, give us some thoughts from things that, you know, other folks that you've worked with. Are you seeing some other positive things that are probably going to come out of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, Rob, you definitely hit on a, a number of them. Um, you know, and I mean, I think that the industry as a whole, um, you know, when I kind of think of, you know, how we've been looking at it and looking at the risk within the higher ed industry, um, you know, we did a lot of work prior to the pandemic understanding, you know, what were, what were or what are the most significant risks. Um, you know, and, you know, when I think back on it, you know, enrollment um, and supply was a big, you know, big topical area. Compliance, as Rob mentioned in the beginning, just a big burden um, of compliance requirements on institutions. Um, the operating model and, you know, whether institutional operating models, you know, questions around should they be revised, um, business model. And then obviously, you know, reputational risk has always been huge for this industry, given, you know, the vast number of stakeholders that, you know, you have not only students, but you have, you know, faculty and you have parents and you have alumni and you have athletics and, you know, there's a very complicated um, environment. So, I mean, with all that, you know, I think that with, with, with the pandemic, I think we, we saw all of these risk issues and you had to take another look at them. And, you know, we, we did some, you know, evaluating of this many of them became even more pronounced. So things that we were hearing, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, and how rated, risks were being rated and ranked, I mean, it all, you know, kind of just increased um, in concern. But, you know, at, as Rob said, I mean, there's that also can create opportunities to, you know, think about things in a different way. Um, examples with the learning model, um, online versus hybrid versus in-person. And then, you know, also to really look hard at, you know, academic programming, um, you know, or, or is, or is the institution offering the right courses to meet the demand? Um, are there ways to tweak that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, overall, um, long window in <laughs> saying that, I mean, I do think that the risk, you know, when you evaluate the risk, there, there immediately becomes a way to look at this where there's an opportunity to maybe do things different and do things better as a way to mitigate or manage the risk. Absolutely. Well, I have a couple more questions for you guys. So uh, why don't we start with, I want to talk about compliance a little bit more, and then we're going to finish it off talking about, you know, let's, let's, let's move uh, beyond the pandemic just again to talk about some of their, some of the big risks in the, in the industry. But so Rob, why don't we talk about this? So, you, cause you said that you're actually the chief compliance officer in addition to supporting ERM. So I was just wondering, um, you know, 
how do those disciplines in, you know, do you, how do those kind of work together? Or, you know, is that, is that to your advantage to be in both roles or, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, how you integrate those two responsibilities for risk awareness in general at uh, Howard. Yeah, that's a, that is a great question because I think there is the perception that compliance and internal audit and enterprise risk management, that those should be, to be optimized, they should be in three separate disciplines and led and facilitated by three different people. But if you really kind of peel back the layers of the onion of each one of those different areas, there are some real, there's some common threads. And one of those is how we are managing and assessing risk and how we go about trying to identify and rank some of those risks, as, as Cynthia is referring to. And what I see is that uh, the position that I've operated in is where I have shared those roles. And I can easily distinguish between what the different uh, roles are that I'm playing. The president has, has put me in charge of helping to facilitate and lead the ERM efforts. Uh, I have done that at my prior institutions as well. And the way that that, that I'm able to effectively uh, navigate that is that I am simply the facilitator. I am bringing to the table the subject matter experts as a part of a ERM steering committee. And that's really where the governance resides. That's really where the institutional visibility is for all of the issues that, uh, that are put on the risk landscape. And so we've had the opportunity to uh, we're actually in the formation stages of that uh, to sort of renew that effort. There had been that effort in, under, uh, in, in a prior uh, time frame, and that is something that the president has, uh, has seen as a, as a priority, that we need to make sure that we renew that. So we're now in the process of establishing that committee. Who is that group going to be? What are the reporting requirements of that group and how we can help to try to facilitate that? And I think because of you know, my background as an information systems auditor, as a certified internal auditor, and uh, chief uh, certified compliance and ethics professional, all of those things I'm able to kind of bring to the table and help to try to facilitate the discussions and lead those efforts at our institution. Right. And it sounds like, I mean, for an ERM role, you definitely, I mean, I think it's a great advantage to have that compliance and audit and internal controls and all that background because, you know, obviously those are all things that are going to give you some clues into some of the big risks and what to do about them. But then, you know, as your role, I'm sure you also have to really think about as a business, you know, what, what are business opportunities or for, or for the, for the university and, you know, the broad spectrum, like you said, you know, you know, governing a little, a little city basically. So it's a very, it's a big role you have there. Um, so I want to round it out. I'm going to ask you one, I'm going to ask Rob one more question for you and then we Cindy can, can jump in here too. Um, so let's go a little bit beyond the pandemic, and uh, again, I would just like love to hear from you, Rob, um, from the university world. What do you think are maybe some of the top three or four biggest risks facing the industry today? Uh, you know, what would be the risks, regardless of pandemic or no pandemic? You know, what would you really be focusing on? Well, I think probably the biggest area of risk that I think any educational institution is going to face is probably at the top of the list is their information systems. 
information systems. You know, I mentioned my background as a you know certified information systems auditor, so I I kind of look at things through that lens of what are the controls that need to be in place in order to protect the data. Uh, Having been in the industry for as long as I have, I've seen the migration from where information systems was really sort of relegated to the people who were, uh, you know, kind of in those basement offices with no windows who are, you know, the perception is that they just, you know, drink monster drinks and eat Cheetos all day and have very little social interaction with others. And as long as people's email works, everything's fine. Uh, that there is not a single process that does not have an impact or rely upon information systems. So as, as we are now placing a heavier reliance on that, it really requires institutions to think differently than they historically have. The idea that there is, uh, that, that faculty members should have the ability to load any software onto their machines so that they can do their appropriate research and test different things. Well, that really doesn't work if by doing so, that is going to introduce a number of IT risks and the risk of malware and the number of institutions that have been hit with, uh, with ransomware attacks and, uh, and malware, you know, that increases the level of risk that the universities need to face. So there needs to be a better communication and integration with information systems in every aspect of the operations. That's number one. Uh, number two is on the research side. And when we consider the, the millions of dollars that are entrusted to our university uh, to perform federal and otherwise sponsored research, there are a host of obligations and requirements that go along with that. And making sure that we are going to be able to be in compliance with all of those different areas and evaluate those areas of risk in, a, in an ERM methodology to be able to bring the, all the appropriate stakeholders to the table and make sure that they have an opportunity to have clear, transparent visibility into what the risks are and accordingly what some of the mitigation strategies are going to be. That is requiring a level of interaction that goes beyond just those who have the title of research administration and that really look at it more broadly across the university. And, and, and thirdly, and this is not necessarily an order of priority, I really should switch these around. The top one is how we make sure that we are engaging our students in a way that is going to assure that they are going to be successful. That's the bottom line. That's the number one goal. That should be driving every decision that we make on a day-in, day-out basis. Because everything is about how we can make sure that we're helping to uh, shape and mold and mentor and educate and prepare the next generation for, uh, for excellence. And the upward economic mobility of our institution is one of the top-ranked institutions in the country not just within HBCUs, but within all, uh, all uh, institutions of higher education. And you don't get to do that by continuing to just operate the way that you did 20, 30 years ago. We've got to be, we've got to be current with our implementation of new technologies and new, uh, new learning methodologies. And you know, so that's the biggest challenge that every institution has, which is only going to be uh, exacerbated 
in the middle of this pandemic, because if you are only relying on in-person, in-class uh, delivery, and now you're having to migrate to virtual, that becomes a real challenge, particularly those who are in the sciences and the disciplines where part of their education requires in-person laboratory experience, et cetera. So it's looking at ways in which we could make sure that we are addressing those challenges. And that's, uh, you know, th there's not a finish line to that. That's going to be an ongoing challenge. But one that I think that we are well prepared to be able to address. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Again, just from my, I mean, most of us, you know, uh, had the university experience. And uh, even I remember how many years ago, 20-something years ago, you know, the question is, I'm spending all this money for this education. What, you know, am I going to use this? It's a lot of money. I got my student loan to pay back. You know, that engagement of the students to make sure they're successful, that to me is absolutely the most important thing. This is a, a high-cost, you know, high-value industry. So um, I'm happy that that's the top of your list. It makes me feel good. Um, and then how about Cynthia? What do you think? You want to add what, any other risks that you've seen out there you want to add to the list? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just comment on, I mean, I have complete agreement with both of you around, you know, the student success is, you know, top issue. And I think that, you know, it just, it, there's so many facets of the industry that, you know, it directly, in, you know, aligns back to, um, you know, another component of student success that I know there's been a lot of conversation around um, in the last couple of years is, you know, also student well-being. Um, and mental health issues and just, you know, making sure that, you know, that is being addressed on campuses, um, you know, and, and that has, I think, been, you know, spotlight shown on that even more with the pandemic, so not to keep coming back to that, but definitely another big one. And, and also the faculty, um, you know, the student success is important, but the faculty and their overall well-being and, you know, being able to execute um, programs and academic programs that, you know, ensures, you know, appropriate student success is also important. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the only other two I'd throw in, and I mean, again, I, Rob, I agree with, you know, everything that you said, um, you know, enrollment continues to be a risk issue that we see in here um, over and over again um, with just, you know, the supply and demand, the market demand, um, you know, the number of schools that are out there, what they're providing, um, the value, it kind of relates to student success a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I'd just close with, with reputational risk. Um, is, you know, and I said this, you know, earlier in the podcast, um, the, the intricate, you know, environment of higher education and the number of stakeholders and, um, you know, it just creates an interest, I think, in the, in the, you know, external environment where, you, you know, if there's a reputational issue, I mean, it is so quick to be on the front page of the news and it's so quick to go viral on social media that I think that it's something that every institution really, you know, has to keep their eye on. And then, you know, again, back to something Rob said earlier, and be prepared to communicate and respond effectively um, as needed. Okay. Well, I really uh, enjoyed having you both on the podcast today. And, uh, you know, this is great. I, I've always wanted to have one about, about the university system, so this is great. And, uh, yeah, any uh, final words? Maybe, Rob, you want to give us one final word of encouragement here? Anything else you want to say before we sign off? Well, I, I'm just, I appreciate the opportunity. And Cynthia, your, your comment about reputational uh, risk, that is the number one risk that every university faces because if there is an adverse situation that occurs, 
and then becomes a part of news stories and newspaper stories and is all over social media, that is going to have a direct impact on enrollment, on attracting and retaining high quality faculty and staff and those who want to be a part of something successful. So I think we always have to keep that in mind. Uh, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that at this point I'm speaking to or somebody listening to this is somebody who perhaps is in the higher education uh, industry and looking to try to collaborate uh, with and confer with other people in the industry. Uh, you know, I've been a part of the Association of College and University Auditors, uh, past president of that. That's a group that focuses primarily on the internal auditing and compliance uh, area. But I would encourage people to be a part of some of these types of organizations where you can feel like you can bounce ideas off of and glean, uh, glean uh, perspectives, uh, as well as from, you know, from this organization here. I think this is a, a fabulous, I'm glad to be a part of this now, and I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing the dialogues. Great. Well, thanks again, and thanks for joining. Hey, Paul, can I throw in one more plug? Please do. Um, you can edit this out if you want to, but I was thinking it might be appropriate. Okay. So, yeah, so I'll just say thank, thank you again, you know, Paul, for organizing this. It's super exciting to talk about this, you know, important topic of, you know, risk management in higher ed. And I did want to say for any folks that, you know, are interested in learning more um, and looking for resources, there's a book that was recently published by um, the association of governing boards, also known as AGB, and it's called Risk Management, a guide, an accountability guide for university and college boards. And it's actually the second edition of the book. And so I um, want to just put a, put a reference in for that because it is a great resource for those looking to learn more um, and hear more about the important topic. Yeah, I would agree. It's a great resource. Great. Well, I'm lazy, so I'm not going to edit that out. And uh, thanks again for that. I appreciate it. So all right. Well, let's enjoy our weekend and uh, another great podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Cynthia. Thank you. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. We plan to have a whole slew of new podcasts for you coming up here soon. We had a little bit of a break for the holidays, but uh, we've got a many more lined up and looking forward to getting those out for you all. So keep your eyes on the Affirm website or on your uh, app on your phone and as always if you have any recommendations let us know over at affirm.org so until next time this is your host paul marshall signing off for risk chats with affirm